Ho, 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 it's episode 40 of the Not So Bon Voyage podcast. On today's episode, we're exposing the truth behind the infamous story Into the Wild. Grab your pocket knives and let's go. And then the train got lost. How does the train get lost when it's on rails? I just want to get out there in the wild. Well, it was in the itinerary. I mean, adventure, it's calling. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been excellent. G'day! And welcome back to the Not So Bon Voyage podcast, where we tell stories of when shit goes wrong on the road. We are your hosts. I'm Jules. I'm Christine. And we are back to our regular broadcasting. Thank you for joining us, Voyagers. Yeah, thanks for tuning in. We are back to our crazy travel stories. Today, I am telling a story that is very iconic. Oh, it's I'm iconic. Iconic. I'm looking forward to that. Before we get started, we have a couple of quick updates. We just wanted to tell you thank you very much for bearing with us while we took a week off last week and for hopefully listening to our bonus episode where we chatted about seven amazing black hosted podcasters that we were listening to. We were taking a time to step down, let our voices be a little bit more muted and try and give a little bit more promotion to some black voices. We are back to our normal broadcasting, but we have definitely not stopped the fight and we are continuing to stay involved with that. So we just want to thank you for all the lovely messages that we had. Yeah, we had really good feedback. Thank you guys for the messages. And we connected with some really awesome podcasters and I'm excited to continue listening to their podcasts. And speaking of listening to things, guess what, Christine? Yeah, what? <laughs> Mum is still not listening to the podcast. Oh, Helen, what are you doing? If you remember the other week, I called out my mum for not listening to our podcast. It's been a couple of weeks now, and she hasn't said anything to her. I speak to her regularly, and she has not said one thing about being called out on the show. So I don't know. I think I should just keep calling her out until she responds. I absolutely think you should be calling her out because she needs to be listening to this quality content. Absolutely. Hashtag, where is Helen? And you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking we give it like, I don't know, maybe a month or maybe a couple of episodes and then we call her live on the show. Yes, live call-in. Live call-in. All right, so let's say that this is the second time. I'm going to give her two more chances to check in and if not, I'm going to call her. I'm going to put her on the spot. Yes, she needs to answer some questions Yeah, <laughs> on the air, live. Live on the air for the Voyages. Why aren't you listening to your son's podcast? Yes. That sounds good. Okay, okay so how many more times do we give before we... Two give more her? times. Two more times, okay. And then third time I call her. Okay, third time's a charm. Third time's a charm. I'm looking forward to it. All right, before we move into your main story, because you're the main storyteller today, mm-hmm. I have two quick in the newses because... You know, there isn't a lot going on in the news, but, you know, slowly they're sort of coming out and they're travel related and they are, they're not person related, but they're definitely where travel is just not working out for things. Okay. (laughs) I don't know. It's working out for things. It's not working out for things. The first one is, did you know that casinos in Vegas have opened? No, stop. They're really? Yes, they have. And I don't know why. I don't know how they plan on like not becoming the epicenter of the second wave of coronavirus, but I'm pretty sure that they will be. That is definitely going to be ground zero for the second wave of corona because people are constantly touching things at a casino, touching the slot machines, touching the cards, touching your face, touching everything, touching everything down there. Touching everything down there. (laughs) Touching drinks and chips and like everything. I mean, spitting. Probably, yeah, probably. No, very spinning. Touching strippers. Yeah, that's scary. Yes. So here is a quote that I really enjoyed from a travel and leisure article. It says, "A large crowd in front." So 
let me just go back first quickly. So I guess this happened, it was enacted, you know, say on the, the second. So it comes into effect at 12 a.m., right? So a large crowd in front of the D Hotel and Casino cheer loudly when doors open as the clock struck 12 a.m. Wow. So they were literally lined up in a huge crowd just waiting for the doors to open at 12 a.m. Perfect. And this is the best part of this. Most did not appear to be wearing masks. Wow. Even though guests are encouraged to do so and will be provided one upon request. So how long is it before Vegas is shut down again? Two days. Two to five days. Two what's to five the, days max. What's the amount of time that the corona, that symptoms start showing up? Yeah. Two to five days. Yeah, exactly. Seriously. I just love how it's like most were not wearing masks, huge pack, and they're encouraged to do so. Oh, okay, cool. Thanks. How are they not wearing masks? That should be mandatory. At a minimum. Are they worried about people like losing their poker face? Are they worried about... Oh, that is interesting. Because, yeah, you wouldn't even have to have a poker face. Are you allowed to wear a mask during normal... Like before COVID, were you allowed to wear a mask playing poker? I don't know. You know how That's the, interesting, the right? tournaments where the guy's got the hoodie on and the glasses and they're all... Yeah, but can you cover your mouth? Probably not. Probably not. But now they should make them cover their mouths because nobody wants Corona. You watch your mouth. You watch your mouth. Well, that'll be interesting. I'm, yeah, they can open and then we'll see how they go. And then we'll decide what we're doing over here. Yeah, seriously. Because we're still in lockdown. Yeah. Okay. Here's my second update in the news. And it's about Italy. And unfortunately, Italy cannot catch a break right now. Facts. Facts. Facts alive. So for anyone following the COVID saga, pretty hard not to, uh, you would know that Italy was one of the hardest hit places. It was one of the first places that went into lockdown or like quarantine or whatever. And tourism is a huge industry in Italy and they really suffered a lot of setbacks. So I imagine in the future, even though they're starting to open up at the moment, I imagine that a lot of people will probably still be pretty worried about going to Italy. Mm, would, yeah, you go to Italy, would you go to Italy right now? I would not go to Italy right now. No, I don't think I would do that. I don't think they'd even have me because I'm American and we have a lot of Corona over here. That's very true. They'd be like, mm, no, thanks. So they are thankfully reopening at the moment and they're ready for business or at least some of the cities were because just two days after opening up Venice, a very popular spot in the northern Italy, you know, the canals, if you, um, everybody, canals. Knows, everybody knows Venice. The gondolas. So just after two days after opening up, they got hit with massive floods and unusually oh. high tides and a lot of rain and a quarter of the city got flooded as high as three feet of water. Oof. Isn't that crazy? Like yes. two days, they're like, finally, all this shit they've gone through. I mean, they were in serious lockdown as well. We have friends who live in Italy and they couldn't even leave the house. Yeah. They weren't allowed to for two months. And finally, things are going back to normal and businesses are opening and tourists are slowly coming back. And they're like, mamma mia. That's a sign. The Mother Earth does not want her spa day to end. She's had a lovely spa day. She's been getting her massage. She's been doing her facelift. She's been feeling good. Feeling good. Look and good. Look good. Feel good. She's just starting to get her groove back. And then all the humans are like, let's open again and get crazy and go to casinos apparently without masks. And she's like, no, I need a few more. I like, I need 10 more minutes of sleep. She needs to hit the snooze button. Hitting the snooze button. On people coming back into the earth. She needs a little bit more time. So I think we should just take that as a sign and go back into our homes for a little yeah. bit longer. A little bit longer. A little bit longer. Well, at least like while we can't travel, they shouldn't be allowed to travel. (laughs) Sure, we'll go with that. (laughs) So, yeah, so people in Italy, uh, stay safe. And I read a few stories about people who were 
braving the tourism trade of Italy and finally went back out there and then they got hit with that. So I feel sorry for those people who got stuck in the floods and couldn't see a lot of things. But, you know, it happens. Such a bummer, man. Yeah, I know. Well, Venice floods anyway, right? Venice does flood periodically. This is not, I think, typically the season that it floods. And it has had, I think in 2002, there was a record flood of four foot of water in June. So maybe, I don't know, maybe June is the time. But anyway, this is almost like at the record, three foot of water. And yeah. Wow, that's so crazy. It's a sign. We should all take it as a sign. Yep. Mm. I like that. Mm. And that's about it that is in the travel news at the moment. I mean, mm-hmm. kind of. I mean, there is other things, but it's about airports and planes. And Ugh. honestly, most of it is still to do with COVID, so I can't be bothered talking about it. Agreed. When I think we can agree, though, that when travel, we talked about this maybe a few weeks ago, when travel does kick back in, people are going to be so excited. There is going to be so many good stories to cover. I'm telling you, this podcast is just going to be cracking off. Woo! Travel! Woo! Travel stories going bad. Woo! Mm-hmm. We're here for it, but stay safe. But also, like, kind of don't stay safe because we want the stories. <laughs> and much. we're in this weird position where we definitely want you to have a good time, but we also want something really bad to happen to you during it, but you're safe. Yeah, but is you're that bad? fine. Are we bad people? You're fully recovered and you're, oh, you're totally fine. fine. Maybe like, but it makes a good story. Yeah, like small scars, nothing super debilitating, like a bit of rehab, like a broken bone, you can re- you can recover from it. Yeah, you'll be fine. Just slap a cast on that thing and you're good to go. Yeah. I mean, maybe like not, mental scarring is a little bit harder, so... Yeah. Keep it physical. Keep it physical and... But yeah, but by all means, go out there, get, get your passport stolen, uh, get in a minor car crash. Get crazy. Get crazy. And then make sure you come and tell us. Notsobonvoyage.com slash submit if you want your story being told. Yes. But you're telling stories now, Christine. I'm telling the story today. You're telling the story. It's your story and it's all you, baby. Passing it to you. And I am telling a story that is probably one of the most famous travel stories of all time. Whoa. Okay. Yeah, big claim. Get ready. It is a big claim. It's so, a very big claim. Yes, it is. I am doing, can you guess what it is? It is the story of how we met each other because that is the best <laughs> that story. That is the greatest travel love story of all time. That is true. I was just trying to get brownie points. You got them. I'll yes. give you them. I'll make you some brownies later. So Brilliant. I am doing Into the Wild. Oh, I was going to do this story. Well, you snooze, you lose. Uh, that is very true. That's actually We have an true. official snooze, you lose policy in this household. If you mm-hmm. snooze, you are officially entitled to lose. Yes, you are entitled to lose. And in this case, you lose. I Yeah, damn. I, okay. Well, it is a great story. And it I sort of know it. And I think that most of our voyages will probably know it. Um, but it's been a long time since I've seen the movie or like looked into it. So I'm looking forward to hearing what you dug up and I'm sure all the voyages are as well. Yes, it's pretty interesting. So for those that aren't familiar, Into the Wild is the story of Christopher McCandless, a.k.a. Alexander Supertramp. Yep. And his story was told in the 1996 book Into the Wild. So that's why I called the story Into the Wild. <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense. That book is by John Krakauer. I'm going to go with that, Krakauer. Yep. When was the movie? I don't know. That's a great question. Probably around about the same time. Probably round, round about. It was probably like late 1990s slash early 2000s. Okay. It was when Sean Penn was with Robin Wright. <laughs> so Sean Penn directed the movie. Oh, no shit. Yeah, is that interesting? I didn't yeah. even know he was a director. He's a director. He's a man of many talents. He is very talented. <laughs> I said that like I have some insider knowledge. He's I've a never man of many talents. Many talents. If you know what Sean I mean. Penn. 
And Sorry, Chris Saint's light with Sean Penn. Yeah, that's true. That's the big bombshell. That's what this story is all about. Oh. <laughs> so the story of Christopher McCandless is about a young man in the 1990s. He just graduated from college, and he has a goal to hitchhike to Alaska to go on this epic hiking trip, and things go wrong, of course, okay. because that's what our podcast is all about. It's all about. So he leaves college, and he wants – how far is that? How far is that? Well, he starts in South Dakota and hitchhikes all the way to Fairbanks, Alaska, which is 3,000 miles. That is a lot of miles. It's a lot of miles. That's like 5,000 kilometers. For some reason, I thought South Dakota was in the south. Where is it? It's in the north. That's a tricky one. It's very tricky. North Dakota is basically in Canada. That's how far north that is. Alrighty. So yeah, that's a lot of my miles to be hitchhiking. That is. So what's he he just wants to get out and about or what's he bucking society? What's he doing? He's bucking society. He's so bucking, baby. in nineteen ninety he graduates from Emory University at the age of twenty two. Okay. And he plans on hitchhiking to Canada to go on this big hiking trip, like completely off the grid, like full overnight, well, for a long period of time, like backpacking, you know. Okay. He's not staying in hostels, he's not like Airbnb. He's not doing a rustic cabin in the woods with a fireplace and you know, a cheese and, plate. And a nice A-frame. From memory, <laughs> yeah. now from memory, he is like trying to get away from like life. Is that it? Yes. So he doesn't want to do like the normal nine to five. He doesn't want to go into society. Basically, he wants to fully cut ties with society and his family and friends and pretty much everybody he knows and just go full into the life of a vagabond. I'd like to do that right now. So he, <laughs> careful what, you had brownie points and then you, oh God, I've you're lost losing the brownies. them. Damn it. I'm not making brownies anymore. Oh God. Uh, I'll we'll get, see how you go. I'll get him back by the end of the episode. So apparently as a young boy, he'd always read books about Alaska. He was just really drawn to the rugged landscape. He just really like had a sight set. You know, you have a place where it's like, that's where your heart is. Yeah. What's yours? Um, I always thought mine was Columbia and I really did love Columbia. But now, I don't know, somewhere else. Okay. Well, I mean, that's kind of our job. Like, we just have our sight set on a place. We go there, and then we're like, that was cool. Next place. On to the next. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. So he was a real adventurer. He did a lot of hiking trips. Um, He canoed down part of the Colorado River. Is this on his trip after he left, or is this just in general? This is in between graduating in 1990 and 1992 when he makes it to Alaska. Okay, so he's doing a lot of trips in the meantime. So he's doing a couple of years on the road. He gets random jobs. He's, you know, skirting around. He's feeling it out, seeing what he likes, basically. He's hanging out with Vince Vaughn. He's hanging out with Vince Vaughn in the movie. Yes. Vince Vaughn is in the movie. How much of that stuff is real in the movie? Well, not a ton. Oh, really? So, yeah. So, uh, oh, I thought I knew the story because I knew the movie. No. So, the movie really took, and the book took a lot of creative liberties. Oh, those creative liberties. Yeah. So, What's John, deal with that? John Krakauer wrote this brilliant book, but it has been criticized for its use of creative liberties, basically. Mm. So, John Krakauer's on crack. So, he's a Krakauer. No, we're not putting that out into the universe. We don't know what his drug of choice is. Yeah, it could be crack. It could be something else. It could be something else. It could be meditation. That's, you know. Is that some, a drug? That's a way to get high. So, basically, what we have is Chris's journals. So, he wrote a journal, kept okay. a journal entries. Dear diary. And Today, yeah. I went... 
by myself again. <laughs> yes, that's right. And he also had a camera. So he took a bunch of pictures, which were later published in a book by his family that has like his writings and photos and stuff. Oh, okay. So basically, John Krakauer has like put this together. And he also did research about people who had met him along the way and from his family and things like that. Okay. The books that were published later on, they were after he wrote his book, weren't they? Yes, that was much later. Okay, so he might not have got the full picture. No. So, yeah, after, in 2014, which was, you know, many years after the book from 1996, Christopher's sister wrote a memoir called The Wild Truth that gives a little bit more background into how they grew up, which I'll get into it later. Okay, let's hear his story. Let's hear about when things didn't go right. Because based on the movie, it looks like he had a great time. Yes. And maybe I mean, he did. I don't know. But part of, oh, apart from the end, I guess. Apart from the end. So well, let's get into it. So he graduated from college. He wanted to cut ties with society. As I said, he donated his entire savings to Oxfam of $24,000. Whoa, that's so a lot of money. That's a lot of money, right? I think his parents were pretty well-to-do. For 1990? Yes. $24,000. That's like a million dollars now. Yeah. And to graduate from college, usually people graduate from college in debt, not with extra money. True. But whatever. (laughs) It's fine. So he donated to Oxfam, which is a great organization. Good for him. Good on you, mate. So apparently in the movie, it shows him like burning some of his money. Do you remember that? Uh, yeah, vaguely. So, but I doubt you would burn $24,000. That would no. take a lot of time. That would be such a waste of money. Yeah. And it would take a lot of time. And it would be a fucking waste, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, oh, no, no, I know what he does. He, he, um, oh God, I remember this pretty well, actually. He has his wallet. So it's like when he finally leaves and he has his wallet and he takes out his wallet and he takes out whatever last bit of cash he has in his wallet and burns that. Yeah, so I think that was more of a symbolic mm-hmm. movie. It was very Hollywood. Very Hollywood. And apparently he destroyed his ID as well. So he yes. just wanted to be done with Chris McCandless. He was done. He was so, done. He was re-identifying himself. He was rebranding. He was rebranding. He rebranded. He you rebranded. Know. It was a full makeover. Sometimes he got a rebrand. So we call him Chris or we're calling him Alex. So he re-Christianed himself as Alexander Supertramp. Supertramp. He was a Supertramp. Supertramp. Is that a band? No, Supertramp? you're thinking of Super Freak, the Rick super James song. Freak. Super Freak. Super Freak. Super Freak. Yeah. yeah. Is Tramp a bad word? Tramp's not a good word, is it? I feel like Tramp is kind of like a hobo, like old school, like vagabondy kind of, you know, person who doesn't have a home okay. kind of thing. I'm not sure. I'll have to look up the history of that. I feel like Tramp has a negative connotation. Maybe. I feel like a Tramp now is like somebody who sleeps around. A Tramp? Like you a tramp. The lady is a tramp. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, lady and the tramp. Wait, but he's a he's a man dog. Yeah, he's a man dog. He's a man dog. Who else is called a tramp? Um, the boy dog in that movie is called Tramp. Yeah. Yeah. Also, Charlie Chaplin was nicknamed the little tramp. Maybe because he was a little hoe bag. He was a slut, but we do not slut shame. We don't slut shame. <laughs> so Charlie, good on you. Good on you. So I think that basically was all symbolizing that he was done with his identity, done with society, and wanted to go fully off the grid, which I think is one of the reasons people really resonate with this movie and book, because who wouldn't love the idea of just being like, I'm done with this life, I'm literally going to burn it to ashes, and I'm going to go do something else. That makes me sound like I hate my life, I don't. Guys, we have a pretty good life, usually. Burn it to the ground. Burn it to the ground. That actually is a very romanticized version of travel, though. The concept of just breaking free, as you said, and just starting again in a new place where no one knows you, you can reinvent yourself. I think that on a small scale, 
you get that from travel anyway. Whether like you don't have to burn your cash and burn your IDs and everything, but any time don't burn you, your cash, don't donate your cash. But any time that you go somewhere new, especially if you're traveling by yourself, you have that opportunity to be someone that you might not be able to be at home. And I think that that's one of the the greatest things about travel is that you can be free. So whether you're, you know, whether you're sort of criticized or whether you're sort of having to hide, it could be you know, things that you enjoy, it could be your sexual orientation, it could be your gender, it could be so many things that are kind of constraining you at home. And when you get the opportunity to go somewhere new, you can just be whoever you want. And you might still be judged, but I'm just saying like, you won't be judged by people you know. And I think that, I don't know, on big scales and small scales, I think that's one of the best things about travel is that you can just have the chance to start again. Totally. And one of the things I loved about traveling by myself was just like those moments of being on a bus by yourself and putting your headphones on and looking out the window and just having this moment of anonymity. Like nobody knows you. Nobody really knows where you are. You can kind of just disappear, which sounds really scary, but it's actually very freeing. It's so liberating. I, I love those moments. Yeah. Do you ever go into a hostel and make up a new name? I feel like I did do that. Yeah, it's fun. Not very often. Plus, usually they ask for your passport and then, you know. No, I just mean to the people that you meet. Yeah. But then what if somebody works there is like, hey, Julian. And they're like, what? You're not Julian. My name is Rusty and I'm a snake wrangler. And they're like, Julian Hatfield from Australia. I have your passport. (laughs) (laughs) That would be funny. So, but, but we're not talking about you. We're talking about Chris. All right, Chris. So he hitchhikes, as I said, all the way from South Dakota to Fairbanks, Alaska, which is pretty far. Along the way, he's taking different jobs, restaurants, farms. He's meeting Vince Vaughn. Yeah, we know the story. Yeah, we've all (laughs) seen the movie. If you haven't watched it, it's good. It's a very good movie. Yeah, Emile Hirsch. His plan when he makes it to Alaska is to head down the Stampede Trail, which is actually just outside of Denali National Park. Which is the highest point? In Denali's definitely something. It's something. It's a thing. It's a mountain. Like it, yeah, I feel like it's the highest point in the US, mm. but not the lower 48. Whoa, could be. I could have just made it's that up. It's a big mountain. It is a big mountain. I don't know anything about which mountain is bigger. Okay. <laughs> well, lucky that we are not a geography podcast and we are definitely not a mountaineering, a mountaineering podcast. podcast. So there you go. Okay. Denali is the highest mountain peak in North America. So Canada and U.S. included wow. with a summer elevation of twi- – wow, it's really tall, 20,000 feet. Holy moly. Okay, so it is a very tall. And it is the third most prominent and third most isolated peak on Earth after oh. Everest and Onkanagua, wherever that is. Okay, so, so it is quite so isolated. it's very tall and very isolated. Yeah, but there is a national park that people do visit. Yes, there so is. There are I've, people I've heard in it's the area. Stunning. I, I mean, if it's the highest peak – you got to go see it, right? You got to go see we it. We should probably go to Alaska. I think that's they're actually opening Alaska. You can get a, a COVID test, and then if you test negative, you can go. Let's do it. Let's go. So he wants to go down the Stampede Trail, head west until he hits the Bering Sea. Bering. Sea. I don't know why it sounds really cold, but it's not my bag. But Bering, like B, like B E R I N G. Okay, yep. I'm I'm seeing Is that, that on thing? the map. Is on the map? Yep, I'm seeing on the map. Bering Land Bridge National Reserve. Yeah, I'm following you. I'm following you on the map. Okay, so he wants to go there. Okay. I, why? I don't know. But it, it maybe looks, he it's loves literally the ocean. In the middle of nowhere. Okay, I mean he's from South Dakota. There's no ocean, right? 
Yeah. Mm, I don't South know. Dakota is very landlocked. You're really pushing. Yes, it's, it's re- completely landlocked. It's completely landlocked, which is so weird coming from California to be from a landlocked state. Do you know that there's people, not to get too far off track, but do you know there's people that see the beach for the first time in their adulthood? That's crazy. That is crazy. Yeah. I mean, we're from very beachy places, so we're very lucky. Yes. But yeah, I could see that. That would be insane. I feel like you'd just like be like touching the sand like, whoa. What <laughs> is this salty water? <laughs> They'd be like, nom, nom, man. They'd be like, this is very salty. Nom, nom, nom. <laughs> So we know this information because he keeps a journal, as I mentioned. Thank you for the record keeping. So he really just wants to be out there in the wild. Good night for a book. <laughs> well, isn't that isn't that clip from in our uh, intro of the podcast? Yeah, I want to be out, out there. there in the wild. Yeah, yeah. Now you can go listen to the intro of our podcast, and you can hear that it's from the movie. There you Don't go. sue us. <laughs> Whoever produced the movie, Universal. Well, actually, I said it. I re- Oh, yeah. Actually, we did re-say it. We re-recorded it. it. We re-recorded it. We used to have the actual sound bites from the movies, but we were worried about getting sued. You don't come back from that. You just, yeah. yeah. Being sued is not good. Don't get sued. Not that we've ever been sued. Just trying to put it out there. <laughs> I know. Just say you don't want to be sued. I just don't want to be sued. Please don't sue us. Don't get any ideas. So he makes it to Fairbanks, Alaska, where he meets an electrician named Jim Galleon. Jimmy. Jimmy gives him, I'm going to just call him Jimmy now because you just said that. Jimmy. He gives him a ride to the start of the trail, which is just outside the town of Healy, Alaska. Healy, okay. So at this point, he's introducing himself as Alex. Yep. So, but I'm going to keep calling him Chris because it's it's just get too confusing. Yep. (laughs) Jim, the electrician. Sweet, sweet Jim. Sweet, sweet Jimmy. Sweet, sweet Jimmy said that he was really worried about Chris's safety. So Chris only had like a light pack. He just had a little bit of equipment, meager rations, and he didn't seem very experienced. Did you tell Jimmy what he was doing? Yeah, he told him what his plan was. He's going to get out in the wild. He's going to get out in the wild. And but Jimmy, Jimmy was like, dude, you don't have like the right stuff for well, also because Alaska. Chris is from South Dakota, which is nothing like... Alaska, I can only imagine. And Jimmy's from there. So when he sees these kids show up, he's like, I'm going to do this. Jimmy probably thinks, you're going to die. Yeah, probably. And he does think that. So the bush of Alaska is very cold and harsh, as one would imagine. Yes, I would imagine that. Yeah, so he's worried that the kid's not going to cut it. So Jim actually tries to persuade Chris to delay his trip. And he even offers to take him to Anchorage to buy him proper equipment and supplies. Isn't that oh, nice? He seems like a really nice guy. Very nice guy. But Chris is very headstrong and very determined. He's he's getting out in the wild. Well, he's getting see. into the wild one way or another. Let's see how that works out for him. Yeah. So he takes some snacks and a pair of boots. But other than that, he refuses any help. But he does ask Jim to take one last photo of him before he heads off on the Stampede Trail. Okay. So Jim Galleon is the last person to see Chris McCandless alive. Oh, no. If you didn't know about that plot twist, then you know now. I assume most people know that this story does not end in success. It ends in death. If you didn't, well, there you go. Now you know. If you didn't, now you know. So Chris starts hiking along the Stampede Trail. So it's April at this point, but it's still cold enough that the trail is covered in snow. Okay. It also sounds like a Stampede Trail doesn't sound like a trail that you would want to be on. It also sounds like there's probably tons of people walking there. It's a Stampede Trail. Or animals. Yeah, or animals. There's There's a stampede. There's something there. And there's a lot of them, whatever it is. Whatever it is, there's a ton of things. It's like that scene out of Jumanji when he goes, stampede. Oh, it's an excellent film. Maybe we could cover that. Is that like a travel? 
I feel like we could go there. I feel like we could go there. Let's find the truth. We could be Jumanji truthers. Yes, like it. I'm sure there's a, a kernel of truth in that story. So actually, a lot of people have been comparing 2020 to Jumanji. And they're like, someone, please stop playing the game. <laughs> <laughs> Things have just gotten so horrible. Seriously. So as I said, this trail is covered in snow. He doesn't see people. Even though it's called a stampede trail, it doesn't. There's not people. So about 15 miles into his trip, he comes across an abandoned bus in an overgrown section of the trail. So as I said, his plan is to head west until he hits the Bering Sea. So he forges on past the bus, but he can't get through the thick bush. That bush is thick. Thick bush. It's a really thick bush. It was the 90s. It was the 90s. It's, you know, thick bushes were very in. So he ends up turning around and heading back to the bus. So he's trying to get to the Bering Sea from i'm looking at a map and he's literally in the middle of nowhere the stampede trail is not near the sea at all i mean he planned on being gone for a long time like he really wanted to be out in the wilderness he's probably like 500 miles from the bering sea yeah i mean he probably could have gotten closer started closer but i think it was all part of the journey you know i mean he probably is yeah exactly like 10 miles out of that Healy town. So he really didn't get far. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about that in a little bit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about that. So he spends the next 16 weeks living in the wilderness. Oh, is that was it that long? Yeah, I, I know. For some reason, I thought it wasn't that long, but that's actually a pretty long time. That's, that's four months. Impressive. Yeah, okay. I, I don't know if I don't remember that from the movie or I just maybe they didn't make a good point, but that's quite a long time. Yeah, he gave it a fair crack. So looking at the photos he took, it looks like he spent some time in a nylon pup tent, which I looked up. It does not mean that it's filled with puppies, unfortunately, because I was about to buy the entire stock at REI, but (laughs) it's fine. I guess it's just a small tent and because he has a photo of that buried in snow at some point. But mostly he's living in the bus. Yes, that makes sense. So I'm going to read a journal entry about when he finds the bus because I think the journal entries are pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, to have first-hand account. Obviously, John Cracky, he was just, Cracky's making, he just was, making things up he when he was on crack. Shit up. Anyway, so like... Seriously. Let's get some facts going on. <laughs> okay. So not, that we, not that this podcast needs a lot of facts. Yeah. We do kind of fly by the city of our pants here, and we know that we're not strictly a facts-based podcast. No. But we try to keep it as pretty real as we can. So yes. if we've got the facts, we'll probably use them. If we don't, we'll definitely make them up. We'll just make it up as we go. So this is diary entry says, Dear Diary, Magic... Did it actually say Dear Diary? Yeah. Okay. Dear Diary, Magic Bus Day as a is, lone... Isn't that the Magic School Bus? I, that's what I was thinking. I was like, is this Frizzle there? Because that would be amazing. Magic Bus Day. As a lone adventurer, I have ventured deep into the wild. I discovered an abandoned Fairbanks bus 142. So apparently he knew his buses really well. Okay. Even though, oh no, maybe it was like that oh, it was, was probably number written. On it. Yeah. Oh, Fairbanks is a town. Yeah. I was thinking like it's the make and model of the bus. He no. was like a bus aficionado. <laughs> He's a bus spotter. He says, even though this old bus is not luxurious or comfortable, it will provide my needs of shelter during my days out in the wild. So it, other people had actually stayed in the bus. So there was like a bed and there was like some you know shelves and things like that and a was little there library a little stove. Um, I'm or is not that sure. just a movie or am I making that up? I did look at, I, I guess there probably was a little stove because there were, he did shoot animals. So you would have to cook the animals, right? I don't know. Maybe ate them raw. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But yeah, he says, I keep my eyes peeled for other surprises and discoveries. I wonder what else is out there. 
And I just feel like this is just so full of hope. Like he just is so excited. He's come across this bus. He finds shelter. He's just like, like stoked on life. We're doing it. We're doing it. Yeah. So as everybody knows, probably, but maybe you don't, the bus is super infamous now. So that bus is like old school, like paint chipping, windows cracked. You can see photos online. It's, yeah, it's a very cool bus. It's a cool place to live for like, you know, four months. If or, you're doing or that. two days, if you just, you know. Yeah, exactly. If you just want to jaunt, they'll probably start renting that on Airbnb or something. Yeah, seriously. So he, for the next 16 weeks, he sets out to do what he wanted to do. He lives out the land. He's in the wild. He's in the wild. He's foraging for edible plants. He's hunting small game. He's eating porcupines. So he's got a gun. I, yeah, I guess he's, yeah, I think he has a gun. Yes, he did. He brought a gun. Okay. He's uh, eating squirrels and birds. So if you had to live off the land, what small game would you hunt? <laughs> oh, I was just going to ask you what we'd prefer to eat. Would you prefer to eat a bird or a squirrel? I mean, certainly not a porcupine, right? That seems like the most dangerous, effort, less efficient ones. I mean, how do you get through? I mean, I guess you could cut its tummy, but like dealing with the spines, the yeah. pines, the fine tines. What are those things called? Why are you calling them fine times? <laughs> what are you, are you having a stroke? <laughs> what are, duh, 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 I was duh. doing slam poetry. Oh, okay. It's the fine times. Mm. Uh, what would I eat if I was out there? I would, I don't know. I kind of like the squirrels. Oh, no. I could not do a squirrel. Mm. They're basically just rats. Rats in the rats of the trees. They're acceptable, society accepted rats. So let's be honest. Yeah, they are very cute. They're cute, but yeah, you wouldn't want to eat what, it. Well, what other small options do I have? Um, well, I mean, rabbits probably the oh, most Oh, I'd eat a rabbit. Yeah, I'd eat a rabbit. Yeah, that's or true. Or a bird. What about a hedgehog? Uh, They'd probably think be what hard to hunt. Like. They would just roll in a ball and go like that. What about a raccoon? I would probably eat a raccoon, but it wouldn't be my top choice. Okay. Rabbit probably. Rabbit. I think rabbit. And birds. And birds. Oh, yeah, birds. It's just like whatever. Yeah, exactly. Although I'm looking at a bird out the window now and it looked at me and it was like, you bastard. Yeah, it knows. There is a bird out our window. So, yeah, so he's out there for 16 weeks. And honestly, we don't have a super clear understanding of what life was like for Chris in the bus. So we have the journal entries, but I hate to burst everybody's into the wild bubble, but Krakauer definitely expanded oh, and exaggerated. Here we go again. Here we go again. Old Cracky definitely expanded and exaggerated on things. So the average journal entry only has four words. That's what it averages out. He's four words a man per day. Of very few words. So I mean, he this guy had. I get it. Like this guy had to take what he could get out of those few words and expand upon it. So he did things like if there was a word like caribou, he expanded that to be on August 10th, McCandless saw a caribou but didn't get a shot off. Just like very specific. But I mean, I guess you just have to add things, right? Why wouldn't he just write more things if he has pen and paper? Maybe he just wasn't a wordy guy. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. There are some things he did expand on. Like actually he wrote more. So we do know that he shot a moose because he details very intensely the butchering of the animal. He wanted everybody to know exactly how you butcher a moose. McCandless wrote that or yeah, Cracky? McCandless. Okay, so that's the ones that he decided to expand on. Yeah. What do you got? To, do you have that entry? 
I do. So, dear diary, today. I lo- I- so I just lo- I love that he wrote dear diary. Yeah, dear diary. Today I bagged the greatest prize of all, moose. Moose. I am overjoyed to have brought down one of the great beasts with my twenty-two caliber rifle. Words cannot describe how proud I am of myself. I feel like some unemployed janitor who'd gone to Reno and won a million-dollar jackpot. That's a very specific uh, simile, or is it analogy? What is it? Very similar, very specific analogy. Yeah. I think it's yeah, because it's or no simile because he uses like yeah. Yeah. Bringing down the moose is not the only triumphant achievement I had these days. A few days ago, I shot my third porcupine and a Canada goose as big as a Christmas turkey. Oh, a goose. Okay. Goose would be my oh, number goose. one. Oh, goose. Yeah. Got to be goose, goose right? Goose would be my number one. Yeah. I am now living life in its most natural and purest form. God, it's great to be alive. Proudly, Alexander Supertramp. So at this point, he's like pretty chuffed with himself, right? He's, Look he's at me living go. it. I, and I'm, I'm really happy for him. Like I, in that moment, I just feel like he set out what, what he wanted to do. And I'm, it looks, it sounds great. He seems happy. Very few people go through this world and actually achieve their greatest passion. Exactly. And if it means that you're on the earth for a less time, but you do it, I guess it's a trade-off. Like, do you live your whole life, not to get too philosophically in, you know, inclined, but <laughs> we do eventually, you know, every now and then dip into a little bit of philosophy if we have to. We'll, di- we'll do a dip we'll dabble, a toe. We'll dabble. We'll dabble. But... What is better, like to live 60 years as of a life that you didn't enjoy or to live 30 doing the exactly the thing you wanted? I would definitely choose the latter. Yeah, same. Yeah. Well, there you go. And now we, that's our philosophy portion of this podcast. So, yeah, so we have photos of him. Well, we don't, but there are photos yeah, of him. I don't have anything. Google them. They're on the internet. And he takes photos of himself smiling with animals that he's hunted. Is he the origin of the selfie oh could be no it looks like he maybe like put it on a rock and used self-timer or did they have self-timer there selfie stick oh selfie stick like he actually used a stick and duct taped it to the camera the original selfie stick original selfie stick or maybe there was actually somebody else there with him taking the photos Mm. and it's a conspiracy controversial jimmy Jimmy, Jimmy the electrician. Jimmy the sweet, sweet electrician. Sweet, sweet boy. What and a then sweet, sweet man. The tales of their romance. Oh, so it's like Brokeback Mountain style. Maybe. Maybe. That's the conspiracy. We don't know. So in July, Chris, we suppose, this is according to the book, which we know is not yeah. 100% accurate. Next. But we're, I'm just going to go with what John Cracky said because we you know, got to go with something. Yeah. So by July, he was ready for a new adventure. He planned to head back towards civilization, but at this point, the Teklanika River, which he had crossed when it was frozen over in April, is now a raging torrent of water. Oh, yep, mm-hmm. I do remember that. Yeah, so it he can't cross it. It's like it's like certain death basically. So, instead he went back to the bus to wait out. So, just to give you some perspective, I know earlier you mentioned that like he was not that far from town. To him it probably felt like he was in the middle of nowhere cuz he probably didn't see anybody. He was like in the thick of it, but he actually wasn't that far from other people. Oh, really? Yeah. So, not far upstream was Denali National Park where there's like shuttle buses and it, at this point in the middle of summer, it probably would have been crowded with people. Or there would have definitely been people. There was also a park service ranger cabin not far from the bus and a bridge with a maintained road that went over the river that was probably just like a day or two walk away from him. 
But he had no, did he have a map? So he didn't have a map. So in the book, I'm going to go with the book again because, you know, why not? So in the book, John Krakauer explains that Chris yearned to wander in uncharted country to find a blank spot on the map. The only problem is that most maps don't really have blank spots. Everything's been found out already, yeah. basically. I mean, it's not discovering anything new right now. This is not the 1600s. Like, we have maps now. So he s- supposes that Chris's solution was just to throw the whole map away. <laughs> Fair enough. So he didn't have a map, basically. Which is like, you guys, if you're going out in the middle of the middle of nowhere, bring a map. Bring a map. I just mean, do, just do that. These one days, thing. you can have GPS device and everything, but at a very minimum, bring a map. Yeah, I mean, you can be like Bert out in the middle of the ocean. I don't know where he's. <laughs> where, where's Bert? Who knows? So there was also a USGS gouging station just a half mile downstream that had a thick cable and a passenger basket to get across the river when it was flowing. So if he had walked a half mile downstream, he could have crossed the river and gone back to civilization. So close. Unfortunately, no map. So yeah, that's what happens. So at this point, he's starting to get nervous. He's quite thin from just living off the land and probably anxious that he can't get back to civilization. But it sounded like he was eating pretty well, though. He was eating okay, but there, there's this thing called rabbit starvation where if you're only eating lean game, your body can actually go into like starvation mode and it can be really dangerous. Oh. You need carbs, baby. Get okay. some bagels in ya. Okay, yeah, I guess because he's only eating meat. But then the, people are doing that diet these days, the carnivore Atkins. diet. No, the carnivore diet. Oh, well, what? People are doing that? What is that? I don't know. I've never. Are you sure that's I a can't real keep thing? A, yes, it is. The carnivore diet. People are doing it. It's You just eat a lot of meat. I don't know what, what you do out, other than that. But, wow. Okay, well, those people are going to drop dead, but good luck with that one. So at one point, he writes an SOS note on his bus. Do you want me to read the note? Yes. Okay. Attention possible visitors. SOS. I need your help. I am injured, near death, and too weak to hike out. I am all alone. This is no joke. In the name of God, please remain to save me. I am collecting berries close by and shall return this evening. Thank you, Chris McCandless. So he went back to his old name. Isn't that interesting? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Because he wrote his previous journal entries had like Alexander Supertramp. And then when, he was, this when note, life was good, he was like, Alexander Supertramp. Yeah, exactly. I'm wondering if maybe like people started looking for him. He thought maybe he was like going to be on a missing list or something. So maybe if he put his name, it would be helpful. I don't know. Interesting that he, well, I guess maybe not religion, but like when he said for the love of God, I mean, maybe he was a religious guy, but it just sounds interesting. Like he seems like he was quite the. At least from the from the movie, I got the impression he was quite the sort of anti-conformist, anti-society, very... I mean, I guess you could still be religious and believe in God, but it just seemed like he was very, you know, sort of oppositional. Mm. Yeah, so then also there's also this photo of himself that he took of himself waving, and he's holding a note that read, I have had a happy life and thank the Lord. Goodbye and may God bless all. So he oh, so definitely was religious, definitely religious in some way or spiritual or something. No, he's religious. Well, I mean, people use God spiritually. He said, thank the Lord. Yeah, the Lord is definitely a bit more specific. Yeah. So at, we don't know exactly when that photo was taken, but it sounded like at that point he was pretty kind of like, you know, this could be the end. Accepting the fact that. Yeah, sounds like it. And he was very thin in that photo as well. 
Okay, so in the movie, isn't there something to do with he eats something? Okay, so here we go. So on September 6th, 1992, we're jumping ahead, same year, but September, a group of hunters looking for shelter for the night come across the abandoned bus. Okay, because they're like 45 minutes out of town. Yeah, they're like, let's just pop here for a few hours and then go out hunting. On a light walking trail. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. When they enter, they smell what they thought was rotting food. Soon they discover a lump in a sleeping bag, which they quickly realize is the decomposing body of Chris McCandless. Oh, that is not what you want to find. Not what you want to find. I don't think they slept in a bus that night. (laughs) No, no. I guess I think they called the Rangers and it was dealt with. So they estimate that he died two weeks before his body was found. So that would have been late August. Damn, he was pretty close to being found though, wasn't he? Like, Yeah, I mean, two weeks. Yeah. Yeah, that But it's sucks. also a long time to be out there dead. Yeah, that's true. And he was probably wasting away, you know, weeks before that. So there's a lot of controversy about what exactly killed him. So as you mentioned, like in the movie, it was like he ate something. Yeah, I feel like that's what I remember. He like ate a berry or something like that. Yeah. So in in Into the Wild, Krakauer suggests that it was a mix of the rabbit starvation and a toxic wild potato seed that he ate. So the theory is that Chris ate the seeds because there was no warning of any danger about the seeds in his field guide. Because the toxins in the seed would usually be harmless to like a person who's like really well fed and healthy, but because he was so malnourished, uh, it was actually fatal. I gotcha. Okay. So that was a theory, but scientists have since tested that seed and said there's no toxins in there whatsoever. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did they do an autopsy on him and and test for I don't I, know. I know. That's a great question. I didn't see anything about that. Hmm. So basically, people think that Krakauer wanted his death to fit this narrative that he wasn't as careless as others thought, that maybe he like, it was, yeah, he, there was no way he could have known that this was going to be poisonous. Because, you know, okay, a lot of yeah. people were like, oh, you know, this kid goes out there and he's ill-prepared or whatever. Okay, I could see that. Because, I mean, let's be honest, he was ill-prepared. Right, he was and definitely he, ill-prepared. And he was not thinking it through. And he was young. He was very young. He was 24, which is definitely like his sister is like, you know, a lot of people who are adventurers, they look back at times when they were younger and think, I almost died out there, you know? So, got a few of those stories. Yeah, exactly. So, I I don't think anyone can judge him. Oh, definitely not judging him, but I think it's a pretty, like, you can agree that he was not prepared. Totally. So, in 2016, a new theory has come to light. Uh, so a noted authority on Alaskan mushrooms looked at some of the final pictures that were on his camera and identified some of the mushrooms in the photo as poisonous. So those okay. mushrooms have been known to make, make people sick and cause hallucinations. And one of his later journal entries just said, many mushrooms dream in large letters with little mushrooms coming out of the dream. Oh, so he was tripping. So he might have been tripping. Those- at least he went out on a high. Yeah, I mean, we don't know. Like, other mushrooms in the photos are known to make people really violently ill. So it could have been just, like, a whole combination of starvation, bad mushrooms. Like, it, you know. I feel like mushrooms, if I was out there, would be one of the last things that I would eat. Just because they're such a gamble. And we were just talking about this recently, about mushrooms. You can look at a mushroom guide, and you can see one mushroom look exactly like the other mushroom except for like a tiny little marking and one is completely safe and one will kill you in five minutes. Like that's how much 
there's so many mushrooms out there and they so many of them look the same and they, some of them that look really like button mushrooms that you'd buy in a supermarket will straight up kill you if they're the wrong one yeah don't eat the mushrooms you guys make sure you have a good mushroom person if you're going to get mushrooms yeah bring a forager who knows what they're doing or your local drug dealer or your local drug dealer exactly so that is the end of his time on the bus. So and on this world. Yeah. So so let's chat about Chris's legacy. Oh, what is his legacy? What so has he done? Obviously the book and the movie were huge. The movie starred Emile Hirsch, who was really big at that time. I don't know what he's doing now, but whatever. Probably doing something. So the bus has become somewhat of like a pilgrimage for people who are adventurers who want to get off the grid and want to just pay homage to, you know, what Chris did, basically. Well, didn't we speak about this in an episode? Like, yes, our very first episode. We oh, talked it was about, our very first episode. Yeah. So there, in 2019, there was a 24-year-old woman who tried to cross the river with her husband, and she was swept under from the current of the river, and she died. Yes. And I, I laughed. And you laughed yeah. when we told the story because yeah. you're a bad person. Yeah. Well, I get nervous laughter sometimes related to death. So I started laughing, but I apologized. It made you uncomfortable. Yeah. So it made laughed. me uncomfortable. And Kristen so doesn't know what to do yeah. sometimes. And it's a really awkward situation. She will just start get the giggling. giggles and she'll be like, the more she tries to stop, the more inappropriate it gets, the more she'll giggle. And it's nothing personal. But it is extremely awkward. If I ever laugh in your face, please know that I don't mean it. It's just nervous giggles. So uh, other people have tried to cross the river. I mean, some people cross the river and they're fine. But a lot of people have been injured and needed to be rescued. And several other people, like, there have been deaths. The first one was in 2010. A 24-year-old Swiss woman died while trying to cross the river. It's mostly the river's fault. So, yeah. Tandy yeah, River. so local residents are thinking about removing the bus because it's been such a pain in the ass to rescue people. Yes, I think I remember we talked about that. It was there was some kind of like there's over the years been dozens of people and lots of money that's been put into rescue missions and mm-hmm. things like that. I could yeah. see that. Yeah, and well, the families of the people who passed away doing that wanted to put a bridge over it so that at least, you know, there's some sort of safety situation. But then the locals thought that would attract more people and cause more problems. So, yeah, they're just thinking about whether to remove the bus or not. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine there's that much going in that town, so they should probably take whatever tourist attraction that they can get. But also, they don't. I want mean, they're to really die. close to Denali. I feel like they probably get a good. Actually, amount of that's very true, and yeah. they're close to Fairbanks. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the people who are visiting the bus probably aren't spending a lot of money in town. That's not true. to profile, but you know, that's true. They're probably more anti-capitalist, like just live off the land situation. Well, they have Healy has. The place where he left from has hotels and stuff. Yeah. Because they're not that far from Denali. Totally. But I'm just saying like people who go do the pilgrimage are probably not going to spend a ton of money. Oh, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but people do. They go to the bus. They leave, you know, little trinkets. They leave messages to Chris. They leave like things, yeah, to pay homage to him, which is really interesting. That is a very interesting concept because it's not... Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. Well, I... There is an article that has 
pictures of the bus. So I'll post that in the show notes. Uh, So the only other thing I wanted to mention was that when we watched the movie, I got the impression that Chris was kind of this young, kind of like narcissistic, like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm just going to go off and fuck my family. I'm just like kind of a dick move to just leave everybody who loves you and just be like, I don't need this money. And like, just, you know, peace out, basically. Did you get that impression? I definitely did. I got the impression he kind of felt like he was very stubborn and like very strong-minded and I I always remember looking at it and thinking he gave his parents like a fair bit of a hard time and the fact that he didn't keep in contact with them or his sister I really kind of felt sad for that me too yes I also felt sad for that and I I always that always left a bad taste in my mouth I I was always like especially the sister yeah this kid's cool but you know he just kind of left everybody well it turns out there's more to that story So as I mentioned, Chris's sister, Corrine, wrote a memoir. And in the memoir, she details an upbringing of emotional and physical abuse. Oh, okay. So apparently their father, Walt, drank heavily and had like fits of rage and ended up like whipping and beating the kids Uh, and his wife. Okay, so he a bad man. Yeah, so he's not a cool dude. And the mom isn't that great either. Like Corinne remembers calling her mother and telling her like the father beat her. And her mom was like, you're a lying bitch. Da, da, da. Okay, so mom not good either. Yeah, so his parents were kind of shit. Yeah, they So I could shit. see why they he would want to like, and he probably had like, it sounded like a pretty abusive upbringing. So he probably wanted to get rid of all the money that they gave him and just like leave and never come back. Yeah, okay, so I get that, but then I feel bad for the sister. Totally, I feel bad for the sister too. And also, his dad did that sneaky 60s thing where he had like a second family. Oh, no way. Yeah, so and they were the second family. Oh, how do you <laughs> he know? He had the wait, first family. Wait, how do you know if you're the second family? Uh, I don't know, but he found that out like when he was a teenager. Do you think you're a second family? I hope not. I definitely not during COVID because everybody's <laughs> here in this house and nobody ever leaves. That's so, true. Yeah. So, yeah. So I just thought that was really interesting because I feel like it gives more context of why he wanted to just peace out and like do his own thing. That definitely does. Because, yeah, that was one, like you said, it left a kind of bad taste in my mouth where I thought, eh, dude, not super cool, but okay. Right. And actually, Corinne, the sister, told John Krakauer about this. Uh, but asked him to leave it out of the story. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, and she she actually said that he did a great job with the book. Like he told, she totally supports like everything he wrote. Oh, that's good. So you know, I don't want to give him too much shit. Yeah, Cracky did all right. Cracky, he did a good job. No, it's a great book and a great movie. And yeah, that is the story of Chris McCandless. Very interesting. Into the wild. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I feel I feel like we should watch that movie tonight. Yeah, I think we will. It's. I just remember. I one of my memories is. I always remember watching that movie and f- just being sort of encapsulated, like re- in that romanticized version of travel, and just getting out there and doing that. And I remember one time. I think my mum had seen it as well. And I told. <laughs> fuck. I'll never forget this. I told my mum that I said, "Mum, you know that story of Into Wild?" I said, "Yeah." And she goes, "Yeah." I go, that's basically what I want my life to be. And she looked at me and she's like, I really hope you're joking, Julian. <laughs> oh, my God. She would have hated that. And then I realized, you know, because I was thinking of the travel and the just get off the beaten path and do this and travel here and pick up a job doing this. And she's obviously looking at going, you know, the part where he just disappear and eventually die at 24. He just like ditched his parents and never called them again and just died. Yeah. So mum was like, Julian. Julian. <laughs> 
So anyway, well, mum doesn't listen to this podcast anyway, so <laughs> yeah, whatever. We're coming full circle right now. <laughs> so true. Seriously, mum, if you don't listen to the podcast, I'm going. <laughs> You're going? You're going, going somewhere. into the wild? I'm going somewhere. I'm going into the wild. <laughs> into the wild. Well, that was a great story, and that was, yeah, very interesting to hear some of those extra details. If you haven't seen the movie, um, do that. what would you read? Should you read the book? I don't know. I don't know. I would just watch the movie. Just watch the movie. <laughs> it's a good movie. movie. We're going to go watch it now. We hope that you watch it. And thank you for tuning in to another week of Not So Bon Voyage. Yeah, thanks, guys. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. That's it. And we're still here. We have got some more interesting chats coming up. We have got Voyager chats. We know that you guys – actually, we've been getting some great feedback on the Voyager chats. We know that you've been enjoying us interviewing some other travelers and hearing their stories. And so if you've got anyone that you think would be interesting, send them on through. If you think you've got a really great story, remember you can always contact us at Not So Bon Voyage on Instagram and Twitter, or you can hit us up on the website, notsobonvoyage.com slash submit. If you've got a story, we'd love to hear it, and we could showcase your story. Yes, let's do it. Send it in. Send it in, baby. Let's do this. Okay, until next time, we're just going to keep bringing you the best stories out there. Remember to be kind to one another and look after yourself, and if you don't, make sure you tell us about it. Bye. Bye.